Okay, well, hello and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On, on today's show, Laura and I are going to discuss bad advice and uh, what makes it good advice. But we have a really fun show. Uh, we're going to have some of our past guests on. They're a lot of fun. We chose them on purpose because of that, not just because they live really close. That'd be silly. <laughs> and finally, starfish eat by extending their stomachs outside of their bodies, which is super gross. Very thankful we don't do that. Um, it'd be a lot more awkward or intimate. I think he does do that. Yeah? You think I do? Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Um, I see what's happening here. All right. You ready to get started? I'm ready. Hit that music. All right, Laura. All right. So what are we, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah. So normally we start our conversations with some talk about life, leadership, sometimes totally nonsensical things. And so today you wanted to talk about bad advice. So yeah. And uh, I don't know, we give a lot of good advice in the show and I feel like everybody in this room has received information that was maybe less than ideal. And my favorite one that I ever heard of was the leadership seminar years ago when I first started really getting into this, this work. And there's a whole panel of people and they're going around asking them about work-life balance and how do you manage staff, all these things. And we get to somebody who has very cool projects. And I know that because he told me. And then he said, I'm an asshole because I can be. And people just get over it. So... <laughs> Yeah, is that good advice? Or I think it's good advice if you are an asshole. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so if that sounds good to you, what we're trying to say is this is an intervention. <laughs> I'm looking at some people. Not kidding. <laughs> what about you? Do you ever have any bad advice? Yeah. So when we initially, you know, we premeditated on this. So I was trying to think of like some, you know, big colossal advice like that. But I kept thinking about these little things that I've gotten over the years. And I was like, why are these little things sticking in my brain so badly? Things like, so I quit my environmental career job in 2016 and started doing my own businesses. And then I would ask people for advice. And I have gotten things like, you should change your email address. <laughs> um, I've gotten things like, you need to have a different area code. And I'm like, okay. I would like some real advice. I would like something that will take me to the next level. So bad advice. What is bad advice? What is bad advice? Yeah. How, why are those bad advice? I mean, because it doesn't help you do anything. Yeah. Is that, is that the answer you're looking for? I, I, really yeah. hope I think it's one of three. Yeah. They're shallow. Yeah. <laughs> um, secondly, they, they aren't personal. Yeah. They're not like, cool. I see what you're doing. I like, I want to help you do that. They're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. And I think thirdly, they're, they're just repeating something someone probably said to them or they read somewhere. So I took a branding class and it says you need an area code that yeah. matches where you live. And it has to have three colors and two of them have to be not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That helps you win work. Yeah. Branding. Well, branding does help if I, I ask. I knew she'd say that. Advice, That's why I did it. The, I think the other thing is that they were not solicited. Yeah. So one was solicited. I was asking for advice from a, another consultant who was a step ahead of me, like mentor. So mentors out there. When you're giving advice, please make it personal. Don't make it shallow. And don't just repeat something someone else told you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. 
Yeah. So are you ready to do this thing? Yeah, I think I'm ready for some interviews. All right. For sure. Well, let's bring them up. Woo! So our first guests are going to be Tiffany Duong and J.D. Reinbot. Tiffany is an ex-lawyer turned ocean storyteller and explorer, championing effective solutions and telling stories that move people. J.D. is a marine conservationist working to promote diversity above and below the surface. Now they're flatmates who work together in the Keys and beyond to help the ocean. The first question we have for you guys is, when did you guys know you wanted to do the jobs you have? I didn't. So as Laura pointed out, I was an ex-lawyer. I worked in renewable energy, and then I burnt out really hard after a scuba diving trip showed me how much happier I could be around the ocean instead of in a corporate building. So I quit my job, I sold my house, and I was really lost for, like, honestly, three years, but, like, to my mom, a year. <laughs> and um, I tried everything possible in ocean policy and advocacy, and that eventually brought me to the Florida Keys to intern at 32 at a coral restoration nonprofit, learning how to be a scientific diver. And then when I was running around town trying to get free lionfish tacos, I met the <laughs> editor of the local newspaper who heard me talking about cool things happening. And he was like, do you want to write? And I was like, I mean, and then he's like, I'll pay you. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's how I started ocean storytelling. And from there, um, I now write for Patty and Scuba Diving Magazine and EcoWatch and all these big dive publications. And I get to dive and then meet cool people in the ocean and tell their stories. Awesome. So it's a pretty sweet gig. It's pretty opposite to lawyer life. So I never knew I wanted it, but now I can't imagine doing anything else. And then I'm kind of like the complete and total 180 of TIFF. For those of you who listened to the podcast that I was on with these amazing human beings over here. Thank you. Um, I grew up knowing I always wanted to be a marine biologist. That was the field that I wanted to be in. I harassed my family till they probably wanted to strangle me to make them go to aquariums, to do, you know, beach trips, <laughs> scuba diving trips, the whole nine yards. But I think the really cool thing with marine science and marine biology is you kind of learn to grow into what that position actually is. Because if you ask the two-year-old version of me that was screaming at my parents saying, take me to an aquarium, <laughs> what I would now be doing as a 25-year-old in marine biology, I think those um, answers would be totally different. I've worked as a scuba instructor. I'm now a boat captain. I've worked in multiple countries, Costa Rica. Mexico, the whole nine yards, and just have kind of really dabbled in a bunch of different fields and different niches of marine science. So it's really cool just to kind of see that growth. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the themes of the conference has been, you know, environmental justice, doing better as environmental stewards. And I want to ask you guys to share a little bit about being diverse in the environmental space. Sure. Um, so I grew up like first gen immigrant household. My family's Vietnamese. And like my mom doesn't even swim. So it's not like she was like, go be an ocean warrior um, at all. You know, she was like, be a doctor, be a lawyer, a businessman if you fail. You know, that, that was kind of the vibe. Tiger mom, Asian parent. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I had like an aunt who was like, you know, a scuba diver or I didn't even know what that was. So I think it's hard for people who don't necessarily have access or even representation in these fields to understand that they can be. And I think like maybe in a, a different version of my life, I could have been a marine scientist because I do love the ocean and I'm very intrigued by science happening around it. But 
I came to it late. You know, I came to it as a second, third career. So for me, like, I think being diverse means like reaching backwards and helping people who might not necessarily see themselves in the field understand that they have a place in environmental professional like jobs and like that there there's spaces for them. And I think I kind of really um, reiterate and usher what Tiff just said. As an openly gay man who's been out for almost 10 years, when I first started in the field of marine science, I really struggled to just be proud of who I was and really kind of questioned if I was going to be able to succeed in this career. Growing up watching TV, I saw, you know, the typical idols of the marine science field, but never really saw myself on TV. Yes, I am a white male. There are plenty of white men on TV, (laughs) but I never saw a white male who was also gay. And that was really hard because as someone, again, who's been out for 10 years, I can walk into a room and say, hey, here I am. But growing up, that was really, really hard. So I think kind of like what Tiff was saying, it's really important to just kind of push those conversations and share that limelight. And I think it's also really important to mention that with diversity, that there isn't really kind of a set representation or image of what someone can be when they work in this field. I mean, you look at Tiff, Tiff has blue hair. I'm covered in tattoos. And I think it's really just kind of important to just even push that a little bit further. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you are allowed to woo in the audience. There you go. (laughs) That's awesome. I appreciate you guys putting yourself out there and being mentors for other people. Uh, Have you got a lot of feedback from people that they appreciate that or that I know there's people watching you? I know I do. Yeah. At one of my previous positions, I managed an intern and volunteer program, which for those of you who like paperwork, I would highly recommend it. For those of you who do not like paperwork, (laughs) avoid that job at all costs. Um, But that was kind of the moment that really pivoted my career and made me realize kind of the importance of being a beacon within this field. I actually had multiple individuals who I was managing, both interns and volunteers, who would see me come in over the top flamboyant, like (laughs) 7 a.m. in the morning, like, hello. Um, And over the course of time that I was actually managing them, they would come to me and say, you know, I was really uncomfortable being loud and proud about who I was, but sitting and seeing you do that yourself made me realize that I'm okay to express this and that I can also have this career. So there's definitely been some really cool responses on my end. Awesome. How about you, Tiffany? So I've had a lot, I've shared my story about leaving law and finding the oceans on a couple different platforms. And I have a lot of really unhappy lawyers who reach out and they're like, you made it. (laughs) It's possible. Um, And like just people who want to switch from corporate and who are just like, but you know, like I have nothing lined up. And I was like, I didn't either. And like, you know, I have things to do. And it, I, it's nice to be able to talk to them and get on the phone and just say like, there's always a way to figure it out. Like if you really want to, like there's things you can do. Like I had to move back home for a bit. I, you know, was an intern at 32. Like there's things that you'll have to sacrifice, but if your passions and your dreams are big enough, they can outweigh whatever negative feelings you have about those other societal ideas. Okay, awesome. So I know we gave you questions in advance, but we've had an audience submittal. (laughs) Somebody wants to know more about being a boat captain. It is stressful. (laughs) Oh my God. Everyone's like, oh my God, you drive boats. That must be so relaxing. You're out on the water. It's beautiful. No. I mean, like there are days like that. Like the other day it was like flat calm. You could look over the side of the boat and like you could count the fish and like we were like watching sharks and rays and everything. But let me tell you on days where you have like 
four foot seas and your boat is going like this and you're like, I'm going to die. And then it's like, <laughs> if something goes wrong, it's on you. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm the diver on the boat. Like, la-di-da. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. This other person has to figure it out. It's like, if something goes wrong, those people look at you and they're like, cool. How are we getting back to the dock alive? But besides all of that, it is a lot of fun. It's really cool to be out in the fields and, you know, help facilitate these different researchers and individuals who are coming out on the boats that I work on and also get to call, you know, a boat in the ocean, my office. Yeah. Um, notice at the beginning, he humble bragged. Uh, I just want to point that out. It's uh, not surprising. I'm just saying. I haven't seen a manta yet. Driving <laughs> all right. Calm down. <laughs> Speaking of humble bragging, um, we are going to continue our theme of bad advice. Uh, so anyway, the question is, uh, what is the best non-typical advice you've ever received? Sure. Do you want the bad advice? Oh, you too? can give us both oh, yeah. or you could, you know. So oh, I, yeah. I did dabble in marine conservation when I was in undergrad at UCLA. I took one intro class and I remember my TA, who I assume was pretty unhappy in her situation. She was like, do you really want to spend your whole life waiting like mid waist in dirty, cold water, counting starfish? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to drop this class. <laughs> and so like, I think for her, she wasn't happy, but she framed my whole concept of what a marine biologist was, you yeah. know, and I didn't have any context to know there were other possibilities for what an environmental professional would be even. So that was the bad advice. That's awesome. That goes right back to giving advice you shouldn't be giving, right? Yeah. yeah. And not making it personal. So thank you. I would say mine would probably be a previous mentor of mine when I was in college, sat down with me and was like, cool, graduation's right around the corner. What are you doing? And I was honest and was like, I'm just going to go be an intern or I'm just going to go back to working at Dunkin' Donuts and, you know, get free coffee on the side um, <laughs> and figure it out. And that individual was like, so what I'm hearing is you just wasted the past four years here at college. And they basically proceeded to go and just talk about how you need to have your life sorted and figured out that moment you get that diploma or you finish whatever you're doing, if you don't go to school, whatever it may be. And that was rough. I mean, I kind of spiraled and scrambled and was freaking out thinking I made the wrong decision in life, that I was just, you know, not going to be successful and admittedly rushed into things. And some of those positions that I chased after just to be like, aha, look at me. I'm going to post on my Instagram that I'm doing this amazing job in marine conservation. But behind all those rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, I was miserable. So I really wish someone had told me you can not have all your stuff figured out and still be a marine conservationist, marine biologist. Awesome. Thank you. Do you guys want to touch on the other yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah do go it, for do it. it. So the best non-traditional advice I got, and I tell it to like everyone is, to chase your rejections. Like, don't take it so personal. Every rejection is a data point. And I talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but every rejection is like trying on a different style shirt, right? If you walk into a store, you don't know what's going to look good on you, what you're going to like. So try out different jobs, try out different interests until you find what actually fits. And like, I actually keep a chart of my rejections. I heard it on some other podcast a long time ago, and I've kept it for ever since I quit law in 2015, it's like 500 long now, but I have like what I tried, whether I liked it or not. And my takeaway. So by chasing rejections, like I was like, I have to hit 50 this year. That means something good will hit. You know, if you're putting yourself out there enough to get rejected 50 times, something's going to hit. 
And then for me, I kind of grew up always trying to be perfect and have everything organized. Don't you look at me like that. I know you, <laughs> like, I know you love me being perfect. Um, but I had a really good friend one time just tell me, F it, see what happens. And a lot of times when I'm doubting myself and you know debating what's going to go one way or the other, I just kind of sit in my head and just say, F it, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That is great advice. You don't have to bleep me on that. Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's also one of those things that could be bad advice, depending on what the thing is. Yeah. Maybe later. It's all how you spin it. Yeah. <laughs> um, this chainsaw is broken. F it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So let us know now what you're up to next. And then uh, after you finish that, where people can find you. Awesome. So like I said, I... I'm an ocean storyteller, so you can read a lot of what I write on Patty, Scuba Diving Magazine, and EcoWatch. Primarily, if you're in the Florida Keys, I also write for the local newspaper. I will be joining a couple scientific expeditions this year. I'm going to Belize to help them celebrate their reef turning 10,000 years old, which is pretty cool. And then in November, I'll be going to help document orcas in Norway with a group of like all-women scientists talking about climate change with indigenous communities to have like women and indigenous led conversations about how you can try to save the planet. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at the handle Tiff makes waves ocean. So cool. And then on my end, it's just kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to do in the coming weeks with all the boat trips that we have scheduled. Um, I think we have Monday through Friday for like the next six weeks, boat trips every single day. So wow. figuring out how I'm going to survive that many boat trips. <laughs> um, and then also in June, I'm going to be going up to New York and I'm help actually helping be the event coordinator for the ESG conference, um, which is taking place during World Oceans Week. And then also planning for my 10 year anniversary coming out drag party. <laughs> oh my gosh, where's my invitation? Come on I down. Mean, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, it's here. <laughs> um, and then the best place to find me and just kind of have further conversations if interested is also Instagram. It's just the Coral Queen and Queen is spelled Q-W-E-E-N. Awesome. Did you mention Norway, Tiffany? I did. Okay. That was the orcas and the climate. Yes. This, this happens a lot on the show where I get really jealous of the people that we talk to. Um, I want to make sure Nick heard it. Yeah, that's why she did that. If you were wondering, that's it. She'll see Amanta. Yeah, okay, yeah, she already has. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh. oh, fantabulous. Yeah, Thank well, you. If yeah. you guys aren't intrigued to hear what their song was yet, you should be. So Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and we had an entire dance plan to come up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys for coming like you say if we have time at the end we'll, we'll, we will do questions with everybody we want to roll through and make sure we have enough time for everybody we have on and speaking of next up we are going to bring on Sunny Fleming you guys may have heard of her before um, let's bring her up <laughs> I love it um, so Sunny is Esri's industry lead for the environment you may know her from our previous podcast. That sounds, that's going to sound very familiar today. Um, and she's very passionate about the environmental community. And I think I have stalled long enough for her to get comfortable. I'm chill. She's too close to me. All right. Um, You're too close to me. Yeah, that's actually true. Okay. <laughs> so we've all been comparing the worst advice we've ever received. You know what I thought was interesting about the responses we've already heard is that all of this bad advice seemed to happen early in our careers or in college. Mm -hmm. Mine happened in college as well. And it was a professor of mine. Well, I'll back up a little bit. 
I went to kind of an artistic school when I was a, a child. It was not a regular school. So all of this stuff around getting prepared for college, I had none of that. And I, I was a first generation college student and my math and science skills were not great. And I failed general chemistry three times. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your confidence feels good now, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The professor told me that I should not be pursuing an ecology degree. And I just thought, whatever, dude. <laughs> I am an ecologist. This is what I do. And I refused to let him bring me down. And so I finally passed that class. And I remember going into his office and showing him my final grade and just rubbing it in his face. I was so angry at him. And, you know, I've, I've had opportunity to encounter him now that I actually have a successful career. And I just, I love seeing him now. <laughs> but don't tell young people or people earlier in their career what they should or shouldn't do. Yeah. Go with your intuition. Go with your gut. Are you passionate about something? Great. Go for it. Don't let one class bring you down. So angry at that guy. Uh, yeah. Are you still angry about it? It sounds. I, I'm fine. I'm over yeah, it. Yeah. I'm going, I believe that too. I can't stand that guy. <laughs> Never cross Sunny. That's what we're learning today. I hold grudges. Yeah. I mean, I, I did too, actually. Is that on camera? Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. We have heard so many things. I know I heard a lot of great things about your keynote speech. And I am one of the many people who didn't get to hear it. So can you give us like a 60 second synopsis and then then we can ask you some more questions about it? Sure. Yeah. Um, I just think, first of all, I really love our environmental community. And what I love about my current role is I get to think about what are the impacts of things like, oh, this infrastructure bill or some of these other big things that are in the news. How is that going to impact us as an environmental community? And then, of course, how does this relate to how can we take geospatial tools and apply that to meet these new challenges or these demands? So that keynote speech is really all around looking at what are some of the new opportunities that we might face as environmental professionals and how can we apply really interesting, innovative tools to do cooler, better, more efficient work. And to your point, Tiff, save the planet. <laughs> oh, yeah, my follow-up question. Um, how do you think it went? So for those of you that don't know, and maybe you all know at this point, because I was really excited about it, that was my first keynote opportunity. Um, Here we yeah. go. There we go. Thank you. Tell and that to the guy, <laughs> wherever he is. I, I loved it. I had a blast. I really appreciated the folks that showed up, except for you, Laura. You didn't <laughs> Just kidding. Nick didn't show yeah, up either. Yeah, been um, <laughs> no, I appreciated the fact that people really showed up. They really listened. I've had great feedback from folks. It started a lot of awesome conversations throughout the past couple of days. And for that being my first keynote, I thought it was a smashing success. And I was really excited that it seemed to resonate with people. That's the most important part because... When you do a keynote, you have to come up with kind of a concept and a vision. And especially during COVID, we don't have an opportunity to talk with our community and get validation on our thoughts and our ideas. And it can be scary to put that out there for the first time on a platform like that. So that was awesome that it, it was successful and that you all have received it really well. So thank you. Awesome. Thank yeah, yeah, you. We can do it. We can, yeah. do it. We can give it. <laughs> 
And I have a personal question around that because I have never given a keynote. Maybe someday that's in my path. Maybe it's not. But if it was, I have always wondered what kind of preparation comes in. How did you figure out what to talk about? How did, <laughs> what did you do to prepare for this for your first time? You know, I was actually really excited about this opportunity because so often when you are in your work environment, maybe you're giving a presentation at a conference and you know very specifically that you're going to talk about that thing that you're working on. But very rarely are we given this opportunity to talk about just kind of what we love. What's that thing that you wake up in the morning and you're just kind of thinking about on your own time and you never really have the opportunity to flex that or, you know, just kind of the things that we pontificate about in our own profession. And that's how I prepared. I was like, what is that thing that I really like to think about? What's that bigger vision that I'm like, oh, that's cool. I think it's cool. <laughs> um, and that's how I put that keynote together. But the preparation itself, you get really busy. I practiced it once because you're kind of nervous. My husband wanted to see it. And I was like, no, you're not looking at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you just kind of roll with it. So, yeah, I don't know. You practiced it once? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. I mean, I love that. Yeah, for you and not for me. But that's like one of those secrets, right? Like, I feel like if you have to do it, you're going to have to practice a million times. But maybe you don't. Well, I think if you're passionate about a topic, yeah. you've already thought about what you're going to say in your head. Yeah. yeah. You don't really have to practice it. You know how to talk about it. You've got that confidence already just from already being interested in it. So, yeah, I mean, if you're finding that you're really practicing any presentation, a keynote or otherwise, then you might want to look at those areas where you're having to go back to and practice a little bit more and, and ask yourself, is this part of the story I really want to tell? Why doesn't this feel natural to me? But just go with your gut, go with your intuition. Love it. Tiff and JD, do you guys give presentations? Yes. We, we were just being like, oh, that's good. I'm over here. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to it? I would totally agree. Like when we talk about ocean stuff or coral stuff or like climate stuff for me, it, I could just talk about it. Like I'm talking about dinner at grandma's house because it, it we live it every day. Right. It, like we're in the oceans as much as we can be. We're here in Florida. So we're like, you know, at the nexus of like climate and ocean connection. So I totally loved that advice. Like if it feels unnatural, there's probably a reason. Yeah. And then I would probably say, especially with presentations, presentations are intimidating, as you probably know. I mean, like hearing you say, I only practice it once. Right. My right? Heart Thank you. Like, oh, my God. Like, I had. A, I, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned for like presentation stuff and just getting that out there is if you mess up with it, only you are going to like yeah. catch that. Yeah. Like if you are like, oh, yeah. crap, while you're talking, yeah. people are like, oh, you messed up. You don't know what you're doing. But like if you slip on your words, you say something wrong, even if someone has their PhD and is sitting and listening to you talk about that, they're probably not going to interrupt you. So like just taking that pause and not actualizing that mistake that you made mm -hmm. and just keep on rocking through it. Amen to that. That's you know, a great point. <laughs> I'll, I'll add to that real quick. I, talk about good advice. Here's some good advice I got from my father, who's a, a musician. So he's on stage all the time. And very early on, his metaphor for that was, you're going to miss a note, but just keep playing. Mm, yeah. And I and I, I hear him miss notes all the time. He doesn't want me to say that. But, <laughs> um, but you just got to, you know, the show must go on, right? That was yeah. the best advice. And it is. It's just the confidence thing. Just keep on rolling. Yeah. I mean... 
I actually did the exact same thing, but on local news. And then I made the face, <laughs> and they cut right as I made it. So, like, local boy is fool. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. So it is oh, good man. advice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Yeah, now it's me. Oh, my gosh. So, Make the uh, face. where were we? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that our social economic arenas are interconnected. Can you tell us what you know about ESG then? Oh, yeah. So I briefly mentioned the word ESG in the keynote. And first of all, I'm not an investment portfolio manager. I am not a corporate business strategist. She doesn't take do all everything. of her advice, yes. <laughs> um, but I am really fascinated by ESG, which is environment and social governance. So it's not a new thing. Corporations basically, or private businesses, public businesses, whatever, they have risk that's associated with the environment. So whether this is climate change and your road that you move your goods from point A to point B on gets flooded out, how does that impact your supply chain? What if a tornado comes through and takes out, you know, what of your suppliers? How does that impact your ability to provide these goods and services? So there's a lot of risk associated with environmental hazards and looking into the future, really understanding how that's going to get worse or how it may even provide you with opportunity, it goes both ways, is really important to corporations to understand how their business can continue. So as environmental professionals, I find that really fascinating because this requires us to apply our environmental understanding in a different kind of way through that economic lens. And I find that so fascinating because I kind of love a little bit of all of it. And so ESG for me has been really fascinating. And I have a mentor in this space. His name's Michael Sakal. And I, you all are going to actually be interviewing him yeah. on a later podcast. He's, wait. he's Microsoft's ESG guy. And he's really accessible. And I, I basically begged him for some time. And he was like, sure, yeah. So he gave me a little bit of a crash course on, on ESG just last week. And um, he and I, you know, wax philosophical on this all the time. But he's a great one to follow. He's all over social media and really kind of learn about ESG and think about it from the perspective of our own careers and how we might kind of apply to that. So, yeah. That's awesome. We'll have to pick your brain on questions for him. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. <laughs> and, you know, like one of the other parts of the show we really love to do is to find out what everybody does for fun. And this time I, I want to know, do you ever just sit and watch TV? You guys are all so damn busy. <laughs> and and I, I want to know, like, the trash TV. Like, don't give me like the, oh, the, you know, Academy Award winning, whatever. No, I want to know what, 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 do you, what do you do for fun? TV. All right. Uh, I, I want all of this. I know the truth, yeah. by the way. I know the truth. Yeah, yeah you do know the truth. Yeah. All right. I'll start. So during the lockdown, the lockdown, this weird period of time, I had like 5,000 goals. I thought I was going to achieve like teaching myself to speak Spanish fluently. It didn't happen. Um, you know, all sorts of weird things. But the one thing I did learn was pottery and my husband, thank God for him, he like VPNed into some network in Ireland and we got, <laughs> we got Channel 4, which is like British public TV. And on Channel 4, they had this awesome <laughs> show. 
<laughs> called the Great British Pottery Throwdown. No. And it's it's by the same producers that do the Great British Baking Show, FYI. So it's like nice people having a competition, but they all like each other. And then they make these awesome <laughs> pots and like all sorts of pottery. That was so chill. I was like, wow, nice people. Like American competition shows were just like cutthroat. We're mean. And I'm like, dude, yeah. this is my career. I don't want to deal with this on TV. Um, so yeah, I, I liked that. And then the Julia Child show. Oh, bon appetit. You know, I'm like, I need a bon appetit. Is that your British accent? That's what that was. Is she British? Is that what you just did? French? French? That was your French accent? Oh, okay. Right. That's what she said at the end of all of her shows. And she was awesome. So anyways, Julia Child. I, I highly recommend Cook that. what she makes or you just watch? Uh, we do cook a lot, but I have not. I've tried one of her cakes. And that's where that story ends. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by your face it didn't end well. It didn't oh. end well. It was dry and gross and never again. So. I mean... All right. Bon yeah, yeah bon <laughs> Tiff and JD, I know you have some secret TV indulgences down there. Not that I like think it's trash TV, <laughs> but like I binge watch RuPaul's Drag Race religiously. We live together. She can attest. I will cancel plans if it's Friday at like 8 p.m. and be like, oh, sorry, I'm busy. I will sit there like with snacks drinks, whatever, and it's like I'm watching the Super Bowl, like, screaming <laughs> at the TV. People come over and be like, is he okay? And she's like, he's fine, just ignore him, it's okay. <laughs> and then, like, if I'm bored and, like, want to do work, I'll just, like, put it, like, reruns up, but then, like, slowly close the laptop and get back invested into watching it and screaming and yelling again. But that's pretty much, like, my, my number one. Nice. Amazing. I hope we're going to watch them. the soundtrack as his constant playlist. So like imagine 7 a.m. and you're not a morning person and it's like RuPaul's Drag Race blasting through the Google Home all the time. That's That's amazing. Tiffany, you've been quiet. So I am the weirdo that doesn't really watch TV. Um, When I quit law and sold my house in L.A., I haven't bought a TV since. I think I don't have enough patience for watching things I think that it just doesn't move like soon enough or my hours are too weird to catch things. I will say I did just watch everything everywhere all at once oh. in the movie theater and it blew my mind. Ooh. It was yeah. so good. So I did watch a thing, but that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Um, so we need to wrap up with Sunny. Sunny, would you also like to tell people where they can get in touch with you? We've done this twice on the podcast already, but you know. Yeah, do it again. Yeah, well, um, now I have a Twitter with 10 followers or something. <laughs> yeah. So please become my 11th follower. But that's at Esri Sunny. So I'm there on Twitter now. But you can always find me on LinkedIn. That's really my favorite platform. And that's where I engage the most. It's where uh, Matthew Sakal and I too. actually chat. Yeah, and yeah. I chat with you there yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So definitely find me there. And that's Sunny Esri. So the opposite. Esri Sunny and Sunny Esri. But, yeah, come hang out with me on, on the socials. Awesome. Cool. Well, we really appreciate you. And we can't thank you enough for being the keynote speaker for our conference and sticking around to have our first live recording. Yeah. Woohoo! And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to NAEP. Yeah, yeah, it. it was awesome. Woo! <laughs>
I'm going to interject something that's not in our script. I would like to do a shout out and thank you to our amazing technical behind the scenes assistant, Kara Lebold. She was, oh, um, I think she was at, well, virtually she was at our last conferences, but, um, and the last person one, I think. But normally she's here listening. She comes to every one of our recordings. She's there taking notes for us so that it helps Nick with the editing. And then so she's able to take notes on kind of the key topics that we have. So we're not hunting to figure out in our social media posts, what what, what did we talk about? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we appreciate you, Kara. Yeah. But finally, we have one more guest on the show. So we have our legal guru and rep from our repeat sponsor, Venable LLP, Fred Wagner. Come on up. Come on up, Fred. We can clap for Fred. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How the heck are you? I'm good. Um, bad advice. Um, I've been listening to you guys, man. And <laughs> the worst the worst advice to, is to always use the word ado to start wordle. <laughs> i'm sorry man so so you knock out the vowels like so what so the way to play wordle is this way just like totally forget that you're trying to get it in one move or two moves you're just trying to get the word you're just trying to get to the end result right and so what i do on the metro every day is i pick a word that inspires me that i'm dealing with for the day that's what I do, whatever the word is. It has to be five letters. So I have to find a word that's kind of close. So like today, we were talking about everything going on with NEP and CEQ and all these things. So I picked rules. <laughs> rules, five-letter word. Here's what we're talking about, the freaking rules. Three out of the five letters hit. Holy smokes. Wow. Right. So I'm just saying, you pick a word that's your muse for the day, and even if it doesn't hit on the first move, it's still your muse, and then you still have five moves left. So that's that's what I say. Awesome. Well, there you go. You Bad advice passed on like, to the rest of the world. <laughs> and, and your trash TV as well is... Uh... Oh, no, no, it's not trash. So <laughs> it, it's not trash. So true story. Um, I turned 60 this year. Unlike these guys are like 12. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. I don't look 60, right? That's the, so the response is, you don't look 60, Fred. You look great. You look great. Blue hair, maybe that'll make me look 50. I can share my diet. Share my diet. <laughs> um, so my buddy is also turning 60. And so we're doing a, the year of 60. And he is a Formula One race fanatic. Ooh. Fanatic. I know nothing about it. And so for my 60th birthday, he got me a Ferrari hat. And he convinced me to go with him. And in four months, I'm going to the Italian Grand Prix in Monza. And so I am watching Drive to Survive yeah. about all that fun so I can get smart. Right. So when I, by the time I go to the Grand Prix, I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to be wearing all the Ferrari stuff, and I'm going to know what it means and everything. And that... That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. It is just a great thing. It is colorful. It's amazing. The personalities are great. Just the scenery around where each race is is kind of amazing. So um, my wife said, hey, I, have to, I have to start watching Drive to Survive. I got to get ready to go to Italy. And she, she rolled her eyes because she's like a Downton Abbey kind of chick. And, <laughs> and, and I am not. <laughs> so like when she turns on the TV to watch you know, Masterpiece Theater, it's like, oh, God. So I said, I'm going to watch Drive to Survive. 
And she was like, oh, uh, okay, I'll watch one just to, you know, humor me. And she loved it. She loved Drive to Survive. So now we're totally into Drive to Survive. There's four seasons of it. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, in your free time and all your free time. Right? All my free time. But I'm squeezing it in, man. <laughs> I love so uh, last time we had you on, we talked a lot about what is going to go on with the Supreme Court. And a lot of what you said just started to come out, started to come true. But before we dive into that, what did you make of the leak? Is that a big deal? The leak is a big MF deal. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you know, the way the Supreme Court works is, in theory, there is an exchange of ideas through these drafts. And the discourse between the justices, whether it's in the majority, concurrences with the majority, or the dissent, are born out of these drafts. And they're intentionally confidential, so that for the same reason your documents are confidential, so you can put something out there, and to the point I heard earlier, so that you could screw up, have somebody talk to you about it, and then you modify it. And the reason we don't want all our drafts and administrative records as lawyers is because we want that freedom of expression so that we can share those ideas. That's why we don't put drafts in the record. Same reason why you don't want drafts of, of Supreme Court decisions out in the public domain when you're still engaged in the discourse. And if you're Samuel Alito today, maybe he has no shame. It's, there's a, a likelihood looking at his face that he does not. <laughs> but if he did, you wonder how he feels about citing a 13th century scholar as evidence or proof about views on abortion. Yeah. Is that the kind of thing that you want out there? Or was it the kind of thing that he was putting out there in draft form for the other justices to look at it and read and then get back to him and say, hey, Sam, you know, maybe you want to ixnay on the 13th century nay, yeah. you know, when you're talking about women's rights, you know, and so it's, it's a really big deal. And it's not because I'm an advocate of keeping the Supreme Court secretive. I am not. I think one of the best things of the pandemic was the fact that they were live streaming their oral arguments. You know, we heard the live oral arguments in Bush v. Gore and everybody was like, oh, wow, this is how it works. Right. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not into secrecy that way. But there is a total reason why these drafts and exchanges are kept confidential in order to get to defend, you know, the right results, even if you don't believe, you know, they're right politically or, or right, whatnot, but right in terms of sound, firm, not crazy legal <laughs> rationale. And so now you got this 70, 80 page draft out there with a whole bunch of crazy shit. And I don't know, I don't know if it's going to, you know, I don't know if it's going to survive in the final decision, but that's what damages the credibility of the court, because in order to get to a final decision, you know, the justices are trying stuff. They're talking to each other about it and they don't do it just like stopping by the hall. Hey, Clarence, you know, what do you think about the 13th century scholar? <laughs> they, they do it in writing. They do it in writing. And if that writing is leaked, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. And again, thank you for, as always for your perspective on that. And, you know, last time we talked about your prediction about overturning the abortion ruling, and now it seems much more likely to happen. But I also want you to kind of talk through how that connects to what's coming through on environmental regulations and how those two things marry. Yeah, I mean, it's a red flag alert. You know, we're, we're here with somebody who rides a boat, you know, what's it, red flags? Is that bad for storms, right? 
Um, this is a red flag alert. The rationale, if it sticks, that you know, abortion is not in the Constitution. Ergo, in terms of protected rights, we don't have to worry about it as much as you know for precedent. That becomes a red flag for everything we're doing in the environment. Because last I checked, and I could be wrong, I have to double check my handy dandy pocket Constitution that I carry with me. <laughs> I don't think greenhouse gas is in the Constitution. I don't think it is. And so, you know, the court heard argument this last term on the clean power plan. There was arguments just, you know, about that. There was other issues as well. But if the rationale is that the authority of agencies is born from the text of legislation and from the text of legislation only, and if Congress is not deemed either through oversight or through the fact that nobody knew what the heck it was at the time they wrote the legislation, not to include certain stuff, and ergo, you don't have the authority to deal with it, that's a red flag day. And so that, that's a real problem. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, but how do we move forward then if that's the case? Right. So the way we don't move forward is expect Congress to fix it. Right. And that's the thing. You know, without being you know political about it, or, which is you know going to sound contradictory as soon as I say it, the ballot box is how you deal with it. The other way you deal with it is if the Supreme Court wants true federalism, such as what was articulated in in the draft ruling on Roe, which is you know you know let the states deal with it. Well, then we're going to have a balkanized United States of America in terms of regulations dealing with all these things that are important to us, and eventually. There's going to be a, a coalition, coalescing of these kind of ideas. And historically, what we've seen in our industry is that certain entities lead and then the rest of the country follows. And why? Because it works. <laughs> because it works. And so, you know, people aren't following California's lead and, and a lot of things environmental because everybody wants to be California in terms of the scope and type of regulations and things like that. They're following it because at least in terms of the things that you know, matter for the types of regulations that they're concerned about, you know, a lot of things work, a lot of things work. And so if we're going to have a balkanized system with regulations and programs around the United States with different jurisdictions, trying stuff, people are going to see it's going to work and it's going to catch on, catch on, catch on eventually until there is a, a switch in politics and time when, you know, once again, there can be an era of congressional action and legislation. You know, we lived through it in the 70s and, and, and up until like Superfund, I would argue. And then the, the Clean Air Act amendments in 1990, that's really been about it. There was Tosca amendments recently, but generally speaking, not much else. But I think that's way it's going to work. I think we're going to see states taking on the mantle of some of these programs and regulations that'll have the support. There will be successes and they will be replicated. And then the pressure to build will be to adopt at the federal level. But that's, you know, that germination takes a generation. It doesn't take a year or two. What's what I think might happen. Okay. Hopefully uh, some of the 12 year olds here in the audience and on the panel, you know, will <laughs> yeah, be carrying yeah, those maybe. torches. Or, or, or for people who are planning families tonight, you <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, going home. Well, you know, before we start this, honey, Fred said that whatever we're about to do, <laughs> you know, this kid may, you know, result in something. So just keep that in the back of your mind. That, that I think will be real motivation for the activity to follow. There we go. Yeah. Won't yeah. it? I mean, 
Yeah, of course. The, 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 you know, we're, we're doing this, but it's also the, <laughs> we're doing this and we're about to do this, but it's the environmentally responsible thing to do. That, yeah. This is environmentally responsible. <laughs> so we should be doing it. Okay. Back to bad advice. Um, bad advice. Yeah. Advice. You know, <laughs> oh, you got to love environmental humor. Um, <laughs> this is in, in the business what we call a seamless segue. Um, <laughs> So you have your NEPA case law update tomorrow, and obviously we don't want you to give too much away, but it's one of our favorite things with the conference. Can you give us a little teaser about what you guys are going to talk about? Right. I think the part of the um, part of the presentation is going to be the whole Sherlock Holmes axiom about the clue was that the dog did not bark. You know, if you read that you know, in Sherlock Holmes growing up, how do you solve the mystery? Because the dog did not bark. Um, <laughs> You know, we we have yet to see and we haven't seen one decision fully implementing the 2020 rules. Right. Not one. All right. Wow. And I, I think the interesting thing is not that there hadn't been you know controversial cases, but I do not believe that the industry has implemented the 2020 rules. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think in large part, those that have have maybe not been on, on projects that are controversial. And so those challenges just haven't materialized. And so, you know, if we were expecting to see, oh, what's going to happen? What's the judiciary going to say about these new regulations? I don't think it's going to happen. We're not going to see it. And, again, and by the time everything starts, it's going to be back with the original, you know, the original yeah. regulations and whatever else is revised. Yeah. So that's one thing. It's like the dog didn't bark and we haven't seen that. And so the other thing, you know, we're going to start seeing, we're seeing more and more is that the courts are diving into uh, indirect effects analysis on greenhouse gases. And, you know, the, it has matured over the last 10 years from, yeah, you really don't have to do it to, yeah, yeah, you really should do it. Uh, from, man, it's, you know, it's so hard. We really don't know how to estimate to, well, yeah, we really do know how to do it. There's like 20, there's like 27 publicly available tools on how to do it, you know, from, man, you know, it's really not, you know, it's localized. So we don't have to really worry about it too. No. Yeah. From adaptation and resilience. Yeah. That's really kind of a point, you know, so it's maturing in a lot of ways. So we're, seen a lot more of that. And like many other developments in the common law with NEPA, what we're finding is that even the federal agencies implementing the regulations are now getting to a point where their schizophrenia over what to do with greenhouse gases is, you know, is kind of being resolved. You know, when NEPA first started, you know, you had the Army Corps of Engineers, not when it first started, but, you know, in, in the earlier days, you know, you had the Army Corps of Engineers say, you know, we permit where the dredging goes. The dredging goes right here. There are no effects to the human environment because we're dredging right here. Nowhere else. You know, and, and then they changed. Now we have a, uh, an organization like FERC. Yes, we permit pipelines, but we don't have to really worry about the stuff that's in the pipelines that's being delivered that eventually is going to be burnt into the atmosphere because we just built the pipeline. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that, that's being resolved. As well, so I think those are some of the those are a couple of highlights that we're going to see there, and uh, as well as you know some pretty stunning language on environmental justice that came out of a dissenting ruling out of the Ninth Circuit uh, over an airport project in San Bernardino, which we'll talk a lot about. So as always, it'll be good. As always, you read between the lines and you read some of the trends that we see in some of the courts and the history of our profession in NEPA. If is, is anything uh, been told through common law. You're an ocean storyteller. I think environmental law is told through the stories of court rulings. And uh, we, we see those trends and we see how courts and judges talk about them around the country. And that story helps educate how we practice. 
Yeah, such good answers. It's unfair. I just want to point that out. I know. There's really no other place I like to get my environmental updates in law from. <laughs> Fred and, and my billable fee for the podcast is, <laughs> is so reasonable. Actually, he pays us. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how we work this deal out, but uh, he pays us. I, I'm just going to tell you how, how, how lousy I feel up here right now. I mean, uh, you know, we have an ex-lawyer and I'm like, I'm just a happy lawyer. <laughs> You're rare. I'm like I, I, shining. I, I, I know. And, and we have another guy with tattoos and whatnot. I'm Jewish. We don't do tattoos. <laughs> you know? And, and we have all this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm just a lawyer. I'm just a happy Jewish lawyer <laughs> who did what his mother wanted him to do. I did go to law school. And damn it, I like it. <laughs> you, you know, so maybe one day I'll explore all this new stuff, you know? I'm totally not into rejection. If you wanted me to make a list of being rejected, I mean, I got married early because I did not like rejection. <laughs> that was one of the reasons I got married early because I did not know like rejection. And I experienced enough of it to know that I did not grow from it. That's <laughs> because you didn't have a list. No, 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 no. I, I, had a, I had a list. There was Jody. There was, I had a list. I had a list and it did not help. Uh, and the only way I grew from it, I think was like, cause you know, I, I ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's every, every time. So, so no, I, I, I'm all about, you know, affirmation, positive law, no tattoo. Like, I'm like, let's straighten <laughs> compared to this, this dais. I'm like straight and narrow. I love it. I, I might argue. You, you, don't think, you don't think straight and narrow? You have a hell of a personality, and I think that's what matters most. Wow. Well, I mean, lawyers do have personalities. I mean, not, not many of them are good. <laughs> but, but, but no, we have personality. I know. Let's just say I know one attorney with a good personality. There you go. There you go. Sitting right here. Yeah. <laughs> and one ex over there. So um, I think that just goes back to what Tiffany was saying about, you know, the advice that you give from your perspective, whether someone should be or should or shouldn't be something, it's really up to them. Yeah. You know, you can't identify something early on and say, Fred, you shouldn't do law because you're too funny. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, I would have told him that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, like I definitely got told early on in my courtroom career that I was going to, you know, they wanted to tone it down. You know, you know, and, but that was, that was good advice because, you know, what sells in the living room yeah. or around the family dinner table or something like that, or with your friends and, and associates that, you know, you trust isn't necessarily true for strangers, Yeah, yeah. you know, but the better advice for preparing presentations, as you talked about and others, is that you cannot hide your personality under a bushel. Yeah. You, you can't. I mean, you are who you are. And if you try to present and project to somebody else your vision of some TED talk that you saw on, <laughs> on, on YouTube, that's a sure way to, to fail because you've got to be who you are. And that's how you connect to the audience. I mean, one way that I connect to the audience, you know, Laura, is that, you know, when I always try to talk about something personal when I start my presentations. Not like like totally personal, like where I have you know scars or something like that, but but <laughs> but but personal in the sense that I want my audience to connect with me. Who is this person that's standing up in front of me? You know, I don't know this person necessarily. I may know of them, maybe, but probably not. So why am I going to listen to this person for the next whatever half hour or whatever? And so 
you know, I, this has been a busy week. I ran across town to another conference, believe it or not, that just coincidentally happened to be in town. And I just ran back and I started my presentation there with a story that just happened this week when I happened to be here in Fort Lauderdale. I hadn't been here for eight years because my parents used to live here and they, they both passed away and they're buried about 15, 20 minutes from here. And I'd realized that I had not visited them because I had no reason to be in Florida. And so Monday night, I took the opportunity to go to the cemetery. And why did I, I pick that? Because it was a connection that I wanted the audience to feel. And, and what I told them was a bunch of services had just broken off. There was just a thunderstorm. And so literally this large cemetery, I was the only person there. I was the only person there. And I was free to have a conversation with my parents. And what I found was that I was editing my conversation <laughs> with my parents. <laughs> you know, I told them all the good stuff. Yeah, right, right, right. And then I said, well, let me catch you up on some current events, Ma and Dad, you know? And I said, well, then, you know, 2016. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, and then the pandemic. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because mom's just going to get worried if I have a cold. <laughs> you know, so, but it, it, it was the kind of story where it was local. It was here. It was important to me. It was a meaningful day, uh, afternoon in my life. And then it gave the audience a picture of who I was. And within the first 45 seconds, they had me and I had them. And so they got a sense of who you are and you project who you are. And if you're authentic, whether you're a big personality, whether you're little, and whether you're like drag or whether you're as straight laced as it could be, if you project who you are and you let the audience know that, they'll connect with you. So that's, that's what I try to do. That's awesome. JD, I would not do that in certain places in Texas. <laughs> not planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, I say we let it shine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just certain well, places. Certain in certain most places, places, yes, but yes. certain places. Know your audience too, you know, yeah, balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Nick, what, how are we doing on time? We got uh, one more in the, for, for the whole group. And then I think okay. That one more. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it says Laura on here. I just want to point that out to people. Um, so, so, Fred, you, you, you say you're going to Italy this summer. Do you have anything else? Wild or crazy plan while you're going? Not wild and crazy, but I have a four-day trip to Israel for a family wedding. Wow. Oh, wow. And it's four days because they scheduled the wedding like the day after I get back from another trip. So we literally have to pick up a new bag, race to the airport, pray that our flights on time oh, and then go see the family and stay there for a few days in Israel. So that's going to be you know, pretty exciting. Cool. We're kind of the last American you know, family. This is a family that moved to Israel directly from before and during World War II. The patriarchs of the family were there before Israel was a state. And now it's a very large, you know, and, and big family in, in Israel. So that's, cool. we're looking forward to that. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, Sunny. What do I have planned? Oh yeah. Like something Summer plans, cool something. in my life. Oh gosh. <laughs> So I liked that you mentioned Belize. We'll be going back to Belize and I will be diving in Belize. I also have a lot of Jewish ancestry in Israel. I have some family there as well. And that is in my plans, but not currently enacted. But that means a lot to me as well. And so your story, I was sitting over here trying not to cry. Um, and I didn't. I was successful. But I really appreciated your story. I appreciate Work you all do, and I felt like there's kind of ties to all of it. I, I loved it. So it's yeah. almost like we planned it. <laughs> How are you guys? 
So to continue with the ties, my nephew, who's seven months old, like tomorrow, his middle name is Monza because his parents are F1 oh, wow. fans. Oh my God. <laughs> That's his middle name? It's his middle name. It's not an Asian name. So, <laughs> so like there is a connection. And this is the hundredth anniversary of the Monza Grand Prix this year. They just tried, so you know. Yeah, yeah. They tried to bring him. So there's that and I they did make me watch a little bit of Drive to Survive because they were like, Your nephew is is named after this. <laughs> so you have it is to. it is a good show. That's good. <laughs> that. Um so I'm I'm going home to California to see Monza. So I'm looking forward to that. Good. I don't have any summer plans. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just going to be working, honestly. Maybe try to get a dive trip or two somewhere fun and different. Oh, I'm actually, I totally forgot. I knew Not it. really summer, but my really good friend is getting married in Ecuador in November. Oh, oh, that's fun. I'm also a huge plant person, and like Ecuador is like the holy grail of plants. rare plants. So I'll probably smuggle some stuff back <laughs> in my suitcase. No. <laughs> Quote unquote, just to save him from that. So. Uh, if you need a lawyer, let me know. <laughs> I'll get your number after. <laughs> well, Fred, you know, as always, we really do appreciate having you on. Uh, before we let you go, uh, tell people where they can find you. Sure. Um, directly at the Venable website. Uh, my personal email, frwagner at venable.com. On the social media, I don't do much on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> but again, with the theme of not being hip and cool. Um, but uh, I do a lot on LinkedIn. And I am over 60 now, so I'm on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Let's give a round of applause for Fred, everybody. Yeah. And then, yeah, wait. And one more thank you for everyone I just found out. Yes, also everyone else. Yeah, there we go. This is improv. We're improving. All right, before we go, I want to take a minute to thank all of our repeat and long term sponsors. I want to thank Venable for all they've done for us, Dawson environmental career coach and Esri as well. Thank you guys so much for being here. If you do want to sponsor the podcast, this is my shameless plug for you to give me money and I will gladly take it. Um, so just come talk to us, listen to the show, do any of that stuff. We do highly encourage you to pass it on to others as well, because that's how the show gets, gets views, gets downloads, gets our messages out of there, out into the world. And we do genuinely need and appreciate that. So we're doing great. We're a top 5% of a podcast in, in the world. That's pretty cool. That's kind of awesome. So, Great. you know, and thank you so much for being here and dealing with our technical difficulties. It's kind of how it goes, but thank you everybody for being here. Okay. I'm going to fill in with all the stuff that Nick skipped over. Yeah, I do. I do that <laughs> Our show covers a wide variety of topics for environmental professionals in the community, as Sunny mentioned. It's a great show for people, especially in their emerging careers. So share this with your young professionals, people you mentor. Check us out each and every Friday on your favorite podcast player. We're everywhere. And now. And see you, everybody. Bye.